This is a series, a series for financial advisors. We offer easy to implement marketing and practice management advice. This is The Stephen and Kevin Show. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 105 of The Stephen and Kevin Show. Today, we thought it'd be fun to go through some of our favorite sales tips for financial advisors. So Stephen's going to give a few of his favorite sales tips. I'm gonna give you a few of my favorite sales tips. We don't know what each other are bringing to the table here. Um, and I have a backup just in case you happen to step on one of my sales tips. You're a good planner, I like it. Hey gang, if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And also, you know, we're gonna cover a not exhaustive list of sales tips today. So as we go through this, be thinking about you know what tips you might have that would be helpful to others. We'd love it if you would drop those in the comments below. Good point. I mean, we were really just sharing a few and there could be tons and tons of great sales tips out there. So um, yeah, we're going to go through them again and um, make sure, by the way, if you're not, we're on TikTok. So, and I'm kind of TikTok famous now, Steve. I had not heard. That, that is <laughs> fascinating. Please tell us more. Um, I guess my little rant about the Ritz Carlton got a lot of views on TikTok, some comments, some negative, some positive. But, um, you know, it's interesting just to see the organic reach on that platform. I mean, it's it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think it shows the power of short form video. Yeah, that it has the, uh, you know, the, the the backing of the networks. They want to see these things get some eyeballs. Yeah, for sure. So if you're not if you are on TikTok, go over there, check it out. If they're on TikTok, they've already seen this. I mean, that's oh, you think I'm that famous? Yeah, I'm going to be on the uh Ellen, Ellen show. Have you looked at the, like where people are, how old they are, any stats on this? No, video? but based on some of the comments and someone called me a boomer. Okay. I'm thinking that they're probably a younger, a little younger. Yeah. And, and I'm like that a boomer, like first off, technically I'm a millennial. After that, I'd be a Gen Xer, like a boomer. Safe to say you're not getting carded at restaurants. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So Yes, uh, let's dive into it today. We're going to start with um, some of our favorite tips. Do you want to go first, Stephen, or do you want me to? Yeah, you know, the idea here, gang, behind this episode is that you know, we offer a lot of advice through our coaching program. You know, we, it's been the, the longest standing program we have at Oxley. Yep. We've got a great number of really experienced coaches who coach on a wide variety of topics. Sometimes sales, sometimes you know, marketing activity, sometimes team dynamics, practice management, uh, but I would say the one of the more common topics that comes up are sales skills. How do I handle this person, this interaction? How do I refine what it is that I'm saying in order to get more people in the door and to close, to become clients? And, and you know, you and I did coaching for a long time, mm -hmm. right? I mean, how, how long? I mean, I know we, we don't do coaching any longer, like one-on-one -on -one coaching, but how long did you coach for, you think, if you had to estimate? Well, I, let's say I've been here 17 years now, just hit 17. And I stopped officially coaching maybe two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. You know, we just had, you know, frankly, we have coaches who are really good at it. They've got a, tr a ton of track record in the industry. Yep. They have a passion for it. And we have a lot going on. It, yeah. it just, you know, started to work its uh, way down the list of priorities. But it was fun and it's super insightful. I learned so much from that because, you know, you can't help but have, you know, let's say that, you know, at certain points you would have, 30 coaching sessions mm -hmm. in a week and you can't help but learn a lot from those. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like we've picked up so many little tidbits from advisors. We've obviously shared those with advisors too. Um, I think I coached, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 15 years, I believe. And so maybe 13 years of coaching advisors. And we have a lot of little sales tips that we're going to, we're, we're, today we're trying to like pull just some of our, our favorite nuggets 
and share them with you all from our experience coaching advisors for you know, quite a quite a few years. Yeah, I'll throw in a bonus one today because I, I think back to lessons learned from coaching clients. And uh, I had one advisor one time who said, you know, Stephen, the way I think about it is you got the ball rolling, you're bowling, you've got the ball rolling down, don't mess it up. Like, and his point, he, he, I remember that well because he was saying to me, I said, have you followed up with this prospect? And he was like, no, no, Stephen. Imagine like you're bowling. You're bowling the perfect ball. Don't go down there and mess it up. Mm. You know, let the pins fall as they may. Like Wait he, on him to come back to me more or less. Like, so, I feel like I've given my best effort. Let's see what happens. So in that example, the advisor felt like that situation with the prospect went really well. Like, let's not screw it up at that point. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. So um, I, well, you, you pick up a ton of those things. Let's yes. get through ours today. Uh, I have three. You have three. Possibility of seven. If uh, things... I, yeah, I have a bonus. So All right. stick around. Here, here's my first one. And this is, uh, you know, it could pertain to a prospect. It could pertain to a client. But you're, when you're in the business of sales in any capacity, but we'll stick with financial advisors today, I think it helps sometimes to make recommendations that aren't in your own interest. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one to do, but it's a trust builder. So, for example, if you're a financial advisor, if you recommend to a current client that they take money out of investments to buy their dream vacation home, that's not in your interest, really. Mm-hmm. It's decreasing, uh, for those of you who aren't financial advisors, it's decreasing the amount of money that you manage for that person, also decreasing the amount of fees you're paid. Um, but it might be the right thing to do. Right. And it's certainly going to endear you to a person who fully understands that you're making less money based on this recommendation. That's good. Uh, if you're working with a prospect, someone who hasn't yet engaged you, uh, you know, consider, uh, let's say, for example, you're working with a prospect who's going through a major life event. They had the death of a loved one. They just moved houses. Uh, they're changing jobs. Something was going on. Uh, what if you were to recommend they wait to engage you until the dust settles? Mm-hmm. Certainly not in your interest, but it endears them to you because they know now going forward this person's willing to make some recommendations that aren't in their interest. I can trust them a little bit more, even if that is all happening subconsciously. Yeah. And I think in that example, you're being considerate of their state of mind and what's going on in their life. And you're, you're just showing you're a good person too. Yeah. Like, or let's say that you charge a separate fee for financial planning. Maybe with some people, when they start out with you, you're saying, I, I don't think you need that right now. Right. You know, let, let's, you know, wait another few years until you get a little bit older, whatever. I'm throwing out some examples here, but be willing to sell away from yourself sometimes. Mm, that's good. Sell away from yourself a little bit. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Okay. My first one here is, um, it is from Chris Voss and this is a newer tip and, but I, but I love this tip. And when I was coaching advisors, I, I tried to use this whenever I could. Um, and it's from his book, Never Split the Difference, who, and Chris Voss, if you're unfamiliar with who he is, he's like a famous FBI negotiator and he has a book and he's, he has some really good stuff. And so I was was taking some of his learnings and applying it to advisors. And the whole point behind this is to embrace the word no. In most situations, whether it's a hostage negotiation or sales or anything that where the, where the other person might be feeling a little on the defensive they want to say the word no, right? They don't want to say yes and commit to something. So what he says is to flip the word no and make no a positive. And he has four questions that he uses here. We can apply them to advisors, but these are, these are his like top four no questions. First one is, are you against fill in the blank? Are you against us getting together and taking a look at your financial situation? Or I like, I like are you opposed? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he said it, it, people get to say no. I think opposed is a nicer way to phrase it than against. Against seems a little bit you know, combative maybe, but... And that's his word. His, his word to, is like against, and so I think opposed is better. Yeah, Agreed. I like that though, because the natural... I, I would, in my, in my own brain, I would think, no, no, of course not, you know? Yeah, it's like, no, I'm not opposed to that. Okay, great. Let's get together for lunch next week, right? And you could go in for a little bit of a, of a close there. Another one here. Um, and th these are his four questions, and again, we can adjust them for advisors, but... Is it a ridiculous idea idea to fill in the blank? Hey, do you think it's, a, it's just a ridiculous idea for us to sit down and do this? Is that, is that you know, ridiculous idea? And I like how it just seems so big and like, no, it's not. We can figure it out. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very, I think it's a, okay, it's a nice. Okay, I like it. Um, is now a bad time to talk? That's his next one. Okay. As opposed to, is this a good time? Oh, like, yes. Like, you know, it's now a bad time for us to talk. I like that one for use. Like if you were actively uh, maybe going to ask somebody to, to consider working with you. Yeah. That's a good lean in. I like that one. And then here's, here's one of my favorite ones from him. And this one is for following up on someone who's ghosted you. Um, and, you know, look, you know, you're in a situation where someone's not, responding to your follow-ups anymore. And, and he says this when he said, and it works, he says, have you given up on this? Have you given up on that? planning for your family's financial future? <laughs> I hope not. Right. <laughs> but it's like one, no one wants to say they've given up on something. Right. But what we're trying to get there, and we've talked about this before is like, we want to know the truth. Like, are they going to move forward? Or are they not? Um, but those are like four questions. And again, I, I think you can take them and you know, massage them a little bit, make them your own personality. But, you know, is it ridiculous? Is it a ridiculous idea for blank? Are you against or are you opposed to this? Have you given up on whatever it might be? Is now a bad time to talk? And in all of those scenarios, no is a positive. I like it. And his point, though, again, is like if you if you let people say no, then you, know, you give them control and they want to be in control. So anyway. Yeah, I, I like how mine was like, sell away from yourself, act in your own you know, disinterest. And you're like, let's play some language trickery on them. And <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a little bit of persuasion. A little right? bit, as Matt Oxley would call it, of verbal jujitsu. It is. And, uh, you know, twist some arms here. All right. So <laughs> next up for, uh, for me is... Uh, uh, this is one that, that pertains to prospecting in your own social circles or, or in your community. You want to be careful of the appearance of your work ethic. Hmm. So if you have followed our material uh, or if you study, you know, the best in the business with regards to bringing in you know, social contacts as clients, they spend a lot of time out of the office. It's good advice, right? You want to be out in the community. Uh, you want to be out meeting new people, building relationships, but at the same time, uh, at the same time, you also want to be known for working hard. Yeah. Right. And those two can run counter to uh, to each other. So on one hand, you do need to be out of the office meeting people. Uh, and on the other hand, it does need to seem like you actually work sometimes. <laughs> right. Right. That's true. And you can think of some extremes on that. You know, if you're the if you're the financial advisor who's an avid golfer. Uh, and everybody who's at your golf club knows you as somebody that they t see on the tee sheet all the time. Mm -hmm. Eh, you know, that can be okay. It's a great way to meet people, but you need to hedge that in some ways. You need to balance that in some ways. Like you might also want to be known as the person who goes into work early most days yeah. or the person who can sometimes be found working on the weekends. 
Like you want to have some counterbalance to you being seen as someone who's always out having a good time. I like that. Or you're not seen at the bar all the time, just totally sloshed. Right. I mean, yeah. it's true though. I mean, and we know, we know some of the, those types of, of people. Um, but I also think about, I, I love this tip when you're involved in other outside activities, do a really good job. So like if part of your social networking is you're involved in the Michigan group alumni club, right? Don't be a total slouch. If you're like on the board in that club, like show up, be organized, right? Like, so like you can do these outside activities, but like kind of show off that you're good at doing it. You're, you're, you're well thoughtful. I mean, you were talking about playing um, in some sort of tournament a couple weeks ago playing golf. And you're like, man, the guy who organizes this tournament does a fantastic job. Yeah. He does a great job with it. I think, you know, the other piece of this is diversifying your interest a little bit. If you're the one who meets new people by always playing golf, and we're using that as an example, it yeah. is popular, but uh, if you're the one who's always playing golf as a way to meet people because you enjoy it, think about maybe getting involved more charitably, mm. you know, and having that be a balance to all this. Still same objective as I want to meet new people, uh, but also achieving the objective of giving back and also giving off the appearances that this isn't all just one, you know, fantastic boondoggle for you. <laughs> That's good. All right. Next one here. This one is... Um, a piece of sales language. And it is one that I, I gathered from a financial advisor who was top at, um, at their firm. And I feel like when I was coaching this advisor, I learned probably more from him than he learned from me. I mean, just to be honest with it. Um, and we were talking about meeting with prospects and closing techniques. First off, we're not a big fan of the hard close, right? These old school closes, the yes man close, like all those like mini yeses that lead up to it. You know, it's like, we're, we're really not big fans of that. And I remember this advisor told me, he said, Kevin, I'll tell you what I use at the end of all my meetings with a prospect. He said, I, I know people make decisions based on emotions. So I'm going to ask them a question based on emotions. So I'll say at the end of it, I'll say, hey, how do you feel about everything that we've, we've discussed today? And if they say, oh, I feel good, I feel great. It feels, it feels good to get all, you know, to talk about all this. Great. Well, the next step would be boom. And then he would go into it. But he said, I, I would just ask them how they're feeling. If they say, you know what? I feel, I feel, it feels like there's a lot that I, I still need to reconcile in my mind. Okay, great. Give you, um, you can have some time to do that. Right? He's not going for a hard close, but he said, I asked them how they feel. How do you feel about everything we've discussed? Um, and I, I want to know. It's like I genuinely want to know what they're feeling at that moment. I'm curious, Kevin, on this one. When you consider that most people, so you would say to me, you know, how do you feel about? I'm the I'm the prospect. You're the advisor, and you would say to me something like, "How do you feel about what we've accomplished?" Most people in my shoes are not going to say something overly negative, right? Like, Boy, what a waste of time that meeting was, right? Right. I, what would be an answer that I would give you that would seem like a middle of the road answer, but that actually might be a negative? I have a lot to think about. Yeah. I think that would be it. You know what? I, I think we have a lot to think about. Or maybe if I said, I, I've, I'm talking to a few others. Right. You know, about, about this, you know, I'm considering a few other alternatives. Then what do you need, what do you need to think about, Stephen? Yeah. What do you need to, like, that's not what we're going to do. Like, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to, if you said, hey, I'm, I'm chatting with a few others, who are you chatting with? Right. I think I'd probably go into that. Um, and then I would say, look, well, look, this is a mutual relationship, long-term relationship. I want you to think hard about it. And I would 
push it a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be that hard close person. Yeah. And I think to your point earlier, what you're looking for is the truth as to where you stand with them. And oftentimes people in my situation here is the prospect, you being the advisor, are, are not going to give you a really straightforward answer of like, well, I'd, I'd rate that meeting four out of 10. You know, like I really <laughs> right. enjoyed meeting the other advisor last week a lot better. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to give you that. So if in some situation, or I'm not going to say, well, you're just still, you're too expensive for me. Or mm-hmm. I don't, don't really see that you're any more thorough than my last advisor. Like, if I give you a middle of the road answer, I think it's on you to pull, you know, to, to you know, peel back the onion a little bit with some follow-up questions. So like, if I said to you, well, yeah, I'm, I am going to interview a few other financial advisors, you might say, well, you know, if you don't mind, you know, just give me some insight, uh, and, and perhaps we have some follow-up resources that we can provide. What are you know, what are the the deciding points for you? Yeah. Like, what's most important in that search? How will you know when you found the right advisor? Yeah. Yeah. Or if I tell you, you know, I, there's a lot to think about. You know, I've for a long time not paid very much for money management, and now you know this is going to be considerably more expensive. Uh, you may peel back the onion a little bit. You know, what else are you comparing this to? Uh, are you considering staying the course or still choosing full service money management as we provide? I like anyway, that. It's, good, it's a good way to open up the door, even though it feels like the conclusion of a meeting. It's really not. Yeah. So what you're saying is you go in, ask them how they feel. If you happen to get this middle of the road, I think a very common one would be, I think we have a lot to think about, right? I think, I think that is, you know, then you could, you could say, you know, not, not what it is, what do you need to think about exactly, but is there anything in your mind right now that I can, you know, is there any questions that I haven't answered right now? Is there anything else I can provide you? I think you can go down that path. Yeah. I, I guess my point in, in saying that there should be further discussion at that point is if they come back with any, anything short of this was awesome, I can't wait to get started. Yeah. Then it's the time to dig just a little bit further. Yeah. But if they do give you that, this was great. Then I think you go for a perfect, well, here'd be the next steps of the process. Yeah. Okay. Hey, here's my next one. Uh, I would say that it's important to go overboard in thanking people for referrals. Mm. So this is you know, current client focused, but you get referrals every year. How you respond to those, how you thank them for those makes a difference in how often they provide those going forward. So you think about why people provide referrals to begin with. It's because it makes you happy. If I'm the client and Kevin is the advisor, I'm going to refer him to a friend of mine because I, not because my friend can never find a good advisor, but because I like Kevin. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see these two connect because I know it would make Kevin happy and I'm sure he would do a good job for my friend. But I, if I'm in Kevin's shoes, would try to do a fantastic job of thanking me for that behavior. Just to reinforce, this was really good for me. I really appreciate that. And that could look like a combination of things. A thank you note, mm-hmm. verbal praise, uh, perhaps a small gift. An invite to a dinner. If ultimately my friend becomes a client, let's all go to dinner together. Uh, a phone call a few months later to say, gosh, Stephen, I just want to say once again how thankful I am that you passed me along to your, your buddy. I like it. You know, and I like the verbal praise in particular. I mean, I, I mean, obviously gifts are never a bad thing. Some sort of thoughtful gift, not something extravagant. But the verbal praise, I mean, in that scenario, the referrer feels good about it. Like they made a connection and it worked out. Right. So like they feel really good. And I don't know if there's a, a better feeling than that. Right. Like, Oh, I referred them. They, they, it worked out for both parties of mutually beneficial. And you said, call someone months later and remind them of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of brilliant. Right. Yeah. Cause you're making them feel that feeling again. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I think in, in your shoes, if you're the financial advisor, you may say things that make me feel extra special. Like I'm sure this was, 
you know, not a big deal to to you. You were just doing doing a favor and and connecting your buddy to me. But not all of my clients do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a special group of our clients that feel strongly enough about this relationship that we have to recommend me to others. And I'm really thankful for you. Yeah. Right? Again, you're trying to reinforce that. Not everybody does this. This was really special. Thanks so much. And then you do not then you you do not say, well, and who else do you know? Like you don't do that, right? Like you're ruining it if you go down that route. No, you're right. just re- reinforcing like you are now one of my favorite people in the whole world. Yeah, I like that. Do you remember the advisor who would give out these like champagne flutes, mm-hmm. right? Um, it was like, they were like Tiffany champ- champagne flutes, is mm-hmm. that right? And she would give out one for each referral that a client would give her. And then I remember her saying like, they'd say, oh, well, I need a whole set. She's like, well, you can get a whole set. You send me the way to do it. Yeah. I think, I think some of that stuff is kind of cheesy. I think that, you know, I I think that there ought to be standard operating procedure in place for how do you respond to a referral in terms of, you know, yes, some basics that your team can execute on, uh, starting the process of a thank you note, uh, sending a certain gift that you tend to give for when people refer you, but the conversational aspects are what what are going to endear that client to you Mm -hmm. and to reinforce to them how much it means. Because, even though it was your idea to put together the standard operating procedure that includes a handwritten note and a gift and a call, it, it doesn't feel as genuine as you, know, you taking the personal effort to make a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right, here's my next one. And this one is tough. I think it's tough for any sales professional, doesn't matter the industry. And that is to get comfortable with silence. I mean, the moment that silence enters a conversation, we typically want to fill it and we fill it by talking. And the more we talk, I think sometimes, you know, we can push people away from us, right? We, we want them, we want the prospect talking to us. So look for moments where you can kind of zip it and just let them talk and embrace that awkwardness. And I know it. I mean, like we, we all have experienced it. No one likes it, but I think if you can embrace it the right way, you exude confidence. So I wrote down a couple moments where I think you should try and embrace silence. When you ask for a commitment, don't, don't keep talking. Hey, here's the next step. Are you ready to do that? You need to stop, right? Um, when you ask an important question, like if I ask, if I'm asking you a question about your family or your priorities in your life and you know what, all these great financial planning questions that I'm sure that you're asking, like count to 10 slowly in your head, like let them process it and make them talk. Right. Um, and another one I wrote down here is um, when you're when your prospect is speaking and pauses, don't immediately jump in. They may have more to say. So sometimes they're talking and you see, let's say Steve is a prospect and he's, and he's sharing some information with me and he pauses and I feel awkward. So I start filling it. Don't do that. Like, just wait. So that's my uh, you want to give a good silent pause there just to kind of embrace that, Stephen. I've been silent for a long time. Let me get some words in here. <laughs> No, you know, when you first started talking about that, I was thinking about, you know, you're just basically meaning that, it, you know, don't take up the whole conversation yourself. Let other people talk. But more, it, it's more about strategic silence. Yeah. Like certain times in the conversation where it makes sense to let it breathe. Like the questions you went through earlier, the Chris Voss style questions. Mm-hmm. Perfect examples of when afterwards you should be quiet. Yeah. Would you be opposed to us grabbing a cup of coffee next week and talking a little bit more about your situation? If you said that to me and I'm sitting here silent, it's really, really enticing for you then to come back with, I mean, if you're not okay with that, I get it. Or yeah, exactly. It, I start filling that, that awkward silence. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, I like it. I think it's, it's something that we can all work on because we do want to fill that space. Uh, it's just, just kind of the you know, human nature to do that because it feels uncomfortable. But 
In sales, it can be your ally. It can really make people think and it can get people to commit. Yeah, so today, uh, all about sales skills. Uh, we could have covered 100 different sales skills today. Uh, we picked a few that were our kind of pet favorites. And I'm still curious which comments you might have. What, uh, what sales skills do you think are most important? Are there any one-liners you tend to use that help you maybe open a dialogue with a, a client or prospect? Uh, are there any good closing techniques or lines that you like to use to help people move along a little bit? I have my bonus. Do you want it? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah let's here's, hear it. here's my bonus one. And this one, again, came from another advisor I worked with for a long time. Um, guy up in Virginia, just a great guy, um, great advisor. And I, I bet he's retired at this point. But he said this, he had this mantra and um, he, he, he would say, when you hunt, people run. When you hunt, people run. When you seem too eager, too excited, too, like when you were talking about the bowling analogy, hey, Kevin, that ball's like, it's going down like the lane, like let's not disrupt it. The moment that someone feels like you need this, they kind of shy away and back off a little bit. And I, and I just always, I always like that, that, um, that one liner there. Yeah. And, and my encouragement to people out there is when you hear that, don't be afraid to prospect. Right. Or don't just, be afraid to ask for a commitment. But don't appear too hungry after the fact. Right. Right. Because 99% of the people out there in, the, in, in our world of financial advice, uh, I'd say 95% at least, are a little bit uh, passive when it comes to approaching people about doing business together. Um, so don't let this dissuade you from asking people to do business. More, It's more about like, after I've had that initial discussion, don't let it feel like I'm really trying hard to track you down. Right. Like I made the offer. If I'm the financial advisor and you're the prospect, I made the offer. You know, maybe we should have a discussion to talk about what we do professionally and if, we, if maybe we're able to help you. Um, but I'm not going to call you in the next day, the next week, the next week, the next week until uh, perpetuity. Uh, agreed. Um, we, and we did some research on this with Affluent Investors. You remember, I mean, it was like, what, what makes someone appear salesy? And one of the number one things was, um, from their perspective, was aggressive follow-up, which is what you're talking about, right? Like, or, or all of a sudden you're on every drip list, you're on every, it's like, you can't get away from them at that point. And that appears hungry, right? And we don't want to appear hungry. Yeah, it's as they uh, say, the art of selling to the affluent. Mm -hmm. That if you're selling to, if you're selling a low-cost product, to a, um, you know, a less sophisticated audience. Yeah, heavy follow-up is the name of the game. Right. Right, so surround them, you know, <laughs> don't let them get away. Uh, but it's a more subtle play when you're selling to the affluent. You don't want it to feel as if you really, really need this. You want to feel, you want them to feel like you're coming from a place of plenty. We've got plenty of clients that we've helped. We, we have uh, some abundance in our life in that way. Right. Um, but it'd be great if we work together and at least make the offer. I think that's the, you said abundance, having that mindset of abundance and knowing that there are other opportunities and that deep down, I know that if they went with us, we're a great option. Like that confidence, I think needs to come across. I think people come across too hungry when they have a small number of prospects. Yes. Like if I never, ever prospect uh, and I'm, my business is slow and I get one lead and I'm like, oh boy, I, you know, yeah. we got to get this done. Like, how do we get this deal done? This is a huge deal. As opposed to, let's say I've got 50 prospects in the pipeline. Yeah. Eh, you know, I don't have to overly pressure anybody. No. They will come as they come. I'll stay in contact, but I don't have to pressure anybody. Right. So get out there. Get active, gang. We appreciate you uh, watching this. Again, subscribe if you haven't already. If, if some of this stuff rings a bell for you and you think, yeah, these are good topics, uh, consider coaching. Coaching is a great way to work on your individual sales skills. One of the things we most like to coach are one-on-one -on -one interactions.
hey, what do I do? I'm talking to this person coming up this week. What do I say? That's What's the next step? Yes. yes, that situational coaching is gold. Yeah, so uh, again, take us up on that. We offer free consultations all the time. And uh, thanks for watching.